It makes it easy picking out a passage in the morning. You just have to work on what it says. Now, Philippians 3. Last week, I, I don't know if you keep sermon notes or such, but I had the first half of the first verse of chapter 3 included in the text uh, from the previous uh, chapter because it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And I, I just wanted to put it with there in case that was part of the concept text of chapter 2. I have it here at the beginning of chapter 3. Remember, the verses in the chapters are not inspired. You, some monk at some point said, let's make this indexable and divided it up. Um, but this is the traditional place. Verse 1 starts with, finally, my brethren, as if he's introducing the next chapter, not finishing off chapter 2. Your choice about where you put it. But as far as today, as we look at it, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. We're talking about the nature of our, you might say our mood of being Christians. And if anything is true out of the passage today, as, as you know, you probably have friends who get depressed. And you know what Wilsons are like. Okay? We don't have much truck with that. You know, we're not going to buy it. Because there are passages like, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And we're stressing the word rejoice. Well, let's let that go for the moment. Let's not have it be about that. Let's have it be about the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. We've, good things happen to us. Uh, yesterday, Leslie's band got on the back of a large trailer, um, a generator providing power, sound system going, drove all over town, stopping various places, playing two to three songs, and then sitting down on bolted-down chairs and driving around town uh, playing play that funky music, white boy, until they got to the Palouse Mall at 6 and played an hour until that storm hit for a bunch of people that were coming out and social distancing, like a bunch of Washingtonians or something. We had a good time. I mean, I didn't get to do much. I mean, I followed around, did the sound, but they had a good time. They had a great time. You've heard of people having a good time. You go on vacation to have a good time. A water slide, you run up to your wife, you know, just excited. That was a lot of fun, honey. You're rejoicing. I don't make a distinction between happiness and joy. It's just a matter of what it is that causes it that we would make it sound more sanctified. You know, it's rejoicing if it's God. It's happy if it's your birthday. So we know what this is, but he wants you not, he's not trying to leverage you into rejoicing. And I've, I've argued, and I've mentioned this before to Christians, with Christians, who actually argued with me, did God really think we had to be rejoicing all the time? Like it was some sort of, do I have to take this medicine? this awful medicine that would make me happy all the time? 
But we're not talking about that. We're talking about being in the Lord. Now, then he warns them, or not warns them, comments, to write the same things to you is not irksome for me, and it is safe for you. I've quoted that verse many times because after you've been a pastor for, I don't know, 40 years, um, you re-preach some things. It's to say some things get repeated. Well, this is the verse I always turn to. To say the thing same, it's not hard for me to say it again. Not difficult. It's good for you. We know how many times it takes to clarify in our minds what it is we heard and what the Lord requires of us. And that's what he's saying about this. So if this title, Rejoice in the Lord, is one about the Lord and the Lord's presence in your life. And this is how he starts the section. He's written the stuff before. We don't have those letters to the Philippians before, but he has written them. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil workers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That sounds pretty dark, calling some people dogs. We have no evidence who he is talking about. But he says, watch out for them. Then we find out probably they're evil, that kind of doggishness. And then we find out what class of evil they are. They mutilate the flesh. You mean like girls who are going through a crisis time in high school and cut themselves? No. He's talking about the party of the circumcision. He's talking about Judaism. He's talking about the presence of Christian submission to Jewish practices like circumcision. He says in Galatians, I think it is, I wish those who would unsettle you would mutilate themselves. That's all he's saying is, yeah, hack yourself up. Don't be hacking up other people. Paul is so strong on this point. What happens in this world, because we're religious people. I was in a conversation last night with a friend of the Patchens who was up from Boise. He came by the house in the evening, had a good discussion. Not a believer. Um, got to express the gospel uh, to him. And his question that walked into it was, how do you determine which person is um, telling you the religious truth? All these different religious traditions, all these denominations, all these religions. How do you find religious truth? Everybody is claiming the authority of God. You have to go back to beginnings. You can't just go, okay, believe me, because I have a steeple on my church. Or believe me, because I, I speak with a low voice. I don't have an adenoidal high voice. It gets really, really low late in the evening. Three cigars in, you start to really... Paul makes a distinction, wants you to know there's a distinction between what we have in Christ 
rejoicing notwithstanding. I don't know if you are a person who struggles with your moods, but as if you do, realize that maybe perhaps it's not you have making a study of rejoicing, but making a study of the Lord. Because his warning is, you know, rejoice in the Lord. I've written this to you before. Watch out for these dogs. Watch out for the circumcision party. For we are of the true circumcision, verse 3, who worship God in spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That's his thematic statement about this section of rejoicing in the Lord. What's it like to be part of a religion? One of the reasons we do not let you join this church is because, well, you know, who would? But we don't want to have anything that ties you to a religion that builds up here. Fleshly religion. Being there and having your name on a, some worksheet in the office, if we had an office, We know that material things sidetrack us very easily. Religious material things really sidetrack us quickly. Anything that people can do to gain the pleasure of the Christian bureaucracy they're dealing with, the religious bureaucracy, they will do. You could just start if you said, we're really a church, and here's the membership roles. These are the standards you must hold. You have to have a, a light tan jacket to wear to church. No tie is necessary because the pastor doesn't wear a tie. People would do it. Some would go out and be out of here, but a lot of people would do it. Be drawn to it even, any kind of standard that you'd put out. But Paul is saying... When you're the true circumcision, when you're rejoicing in the Lord, you, you have found something else. Not, what do you say, confidence in the flesh, confidence in what you've arrived at physically. For the Jew, it was they were confident about their circumcision. But we worship God in spirit. And glory in Christ. They worship God in flesh and gloried in their flesh. And he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. I mean, it's not that it's somehow wrong to be circumcised. I have more confidence than they, more reasons than they. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul had done the flesh just fine. He had everything God required. He was of the chosen people. He was given to that. To the point where he chased people down who didn't agree. Punishing them. Putting them in jail. Having them killed. But what he realizes is not merely. 
not merely on the road to Damascus, he finds out the gospel. Because this is a replacement. I was talking to somebody. Um, I forget who. Um, it was just about the nature of uh, belief systems. Oh, maybe it was at dinner the other night. The first night you guys were here. Uh, we were talking about... Um, what, why people's belief systems don't seem to affect them. You know, I walk the aisle, I sign the card, I say I believe in Jesus. Why am I still kind of awful? Well, because you don't actually believe in Jesus. Because you still believe in what you believed in. It's still right there, holding you when you go to work, holding you when you go socialize with your family, holding you in every other circumstance. At church, you know how to talk the Christian line. You think you're actually believing it. I don't doubt that. I think you're sincere. I just think you're clueless. Because it's not a matter. I mean, when Paul gets to a certain point, he says, I got it all. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That's where we don't get in our repentance. Sometimes, you know, fall on your knees, you repent. I'm sorry I did that. And the reason we were talking about, whether it was at dinner or otherwise, but old confessions used to say, these are our affirmations and our denials. You don't just affirm X. You don't just say, Jesus Christ is Lord. You say, and no one else is. Because as soon as I make Jesus Lord, I get that sort of breath of fresh air. It's just a Yes, Jesus is Lord. But you function in your life. You have never rejected yourself as Lord because, frankly, that's the big contender to Jesus, is you. It's not Lord Krishna, not Siddhartha Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's you. And you've got to deny, I count as loss everything that I had gained. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, start to, I don't know where you insert the dipstick, you know, between your ears, you know, and run it into your head and go, well, I guess I don't really think correctly about this. A lot of people in the postmodern age, because, you know, truth is all relative, truth is all, you know, whatever you want it to be, well, why not have about seven of them, seven truths that you believe at the right moment? And in this world, that's allowed. It isn't, doesn't make any sense because it claims to have meaning in a meaningless world. I've got to get to the point as a Christian, like Paul, surpassing worth of knowing Christ more than anything else. Paul, for religious purposes, Paul had everything. He had everything you needed. And yet, knowing Christ, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse, okay? You gotta, you gotta work with Paul here about where everything else is going, where the denials are being placed. 
where they no longer hold. Not that they're no longer in your life, because obviously <clears throat> you don't turn to the wife and say, Honey, I've just met Jesus, so you are nothing to me anymore. You could still make me bacon and eggs in the morning, but I just care for Jesus and Jesus alone. That's not going to work out. We need to know the surpassing worth, not that other things don't have worth. You examine everything. Some of the things you hold, you just got to get rid of. You can't be the Lord of your own life. God maybe have delegated, okay, you, you can decide what kind of gas you buy at the gas station. That's about it. Little mundane choices. But he's going to make all the big ethical ones. And surpassing, John Slagbaum was, he has a triumph too. He's young, a wild man. But there's something about, and if you ever had a, a road bike, passing someone, and you just dump on that throttle, and the G-forces are pulling you away, and you can't, I don't believe, I, I can see why the cops use Ford Explorers. I have a Ford Explorer. I just thought of being a dead, mundane, pedestrian human being, but then I saw all these cop cars were Ford Explorers. Well, you put the floor, the pedal to the floor, and all of a sudden it goes someplace, really aggressively. We know what that confidence, when you're pulling out behind a semi, and you got maybe that stretch past you know, Rosalia, where you can see pretty much two miles down. It's a dotted yellow line, and not some school teacher coming the other way in her galaxy, whatever, her Buick. You got the space, and you, you can just, you can drop it. So you know what they're surpassing it? This is who Jesus is. Paul's going, when I found Jesus Christ on the road, it wasn't just, oh, I'm now different. I'm a Christian, not a Jew. All that was good in his life became comparatively like refuse. Now, this is something, and that's where the bike has to be, like refuse to Evan, John. It's a wonderful thing. But Jesus Christ surpasses Triumph Motorcycles. Jesus Christ surpasses, dare I say it, being a Scot. Okay? Now I'm pretty pleased. Because some of you might have some Scottish descent. God bless you. Those of you who don't, I'm sorry. The loss of all things. Count them as refuse. I've got some things in my life that I can't change. I'm still a Scot. I still own a triumph. I still like certain things, but I need to know where they stand in relationship to Jesus Christ. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, if nothing else, to know Jesus Christ, to be found in him, to gain him, not having a righteousness of my own based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ. This is not through some magical substance in, in a metaphysical land where you just 
get with this thing he called faith. This is, just, this is a measure of whether or not you believe this. Do you believe it? And do you deny anything else that would claim the same area of belief in you to, to remove it or to move it down in any claimant fashion? It is not your reason for living. You can't look at those. You can say, well, honey, I'm going to stick it out with you. You're a fine. What's that line? You're a fine girl. Brandy, you know, something, something, something. Dumb song. Looking Glass, they do that? Okay. Don't, don't look it up. It's an awful song. They're going to be tormented forever. You can look at your kids. You can look at your spouse. You can say, you're great. Really like you guys. Nothing compared to Jesus Christ. Nothing. And Jesus Christ is going to move my life all my word to my wife, my obligations to my kids, they're going to be served because my God has told me to serve them. My God told me to love my wife. My God is, has to be surpassing. I don't love my wife by making her surpassing. I love my wife by making my God surpassing. And he told me to do it. He told me to love my children and not exasperate them. He told me to do all sorts of things. And if I try to make the arena of what you're trying to do valuable to yourself, this is where the flesh comes in. The church will be happy to give you a system of doing things by which it will become important. Check your faith. That's how it becomes important. Do you believe? Do you believe that a dead Jewish carpenter killed by the Romans in approximately 30 AD was God himself raised from the dead and offered his death as a substitution for your sins. Do you believe that? Raised from the dead, ascended to, be, to glory on high, reunited with himself, God himself. Do you believe that? It's a weird story. I mean, the Scientologists are weird. Uh, I think a little weirder than that, but we're, we're, I mean, we're right up there with the Mormons. Uh, and the Mormons sound weird about what they believe, but, you know, <laughs> think about it for a second. A Jewish carpenter, Palestine, 2,000 years ago, dead. How many Jews died back then? A lot. We believe that he is the Son of God. And if you believe the nature of your faith, the nature of it, faces up to other claims in your life and other things that are drawing you away from the effect of life. Knowing Jesus Christ, finding out what his surpassing greatness is. But it depends on faith, not the law. Because if I try to be religious without this belief, just the nature of this belief being so solid... I'm going to have to figure out religious activity for me to do so that I get this law thing going. I can have a confidence in my, my spiritual religious behavior because I've got a lot of things to do. Jesus Christ says, no, believe. A righteousness, show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. What you do, if Christ is everything to you, and you seek him in every way, 
your life becomes wonderfully balanced. He's not saying, and you're going to New Guinea to be a missionary to the cannibals. I don't care if your wife doesn't want to go. Leave her behind. God's not out there breaking up relationships. God is not out there taking people's business or whatever else. He's a little concerned with you if your business is, no, but Jesus is like, I've really got to, I've really got to deal with this. This is that, that much more important. Where Christ has to compete with your wife. And there are some women who want you to compete. Or your business. All things that are good, legitimate, okay. Is he surpassing? Is your faith there? Ten, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now that last phrase right there just probably stuck a stick in the spoke of your wheels and boink, you went over. If possible, attain the resurrection of the dead. Here's St. Paul going, you mean I might not make it? Whatever you want to think. I don't want you thinking about that this morning. I want you thinking about rejoice in the Lord. He is expressing to the Philippians where his mind is at regarding his pursuit of being in Christ. To know him and his power, his resurrection, his sufferings, like him in his death, including the resurrection. Do I want it that bad? And it's not wanting it that bad is only that for saints and, you know, big sacrificial missionaries. Guys in the professional work of ministry. No, every Christian has this Christ. Does every Christian treat this Christ this way? That I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And he says, verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. So, what you're facing is this is a place you ought to be. This is the place where the apostle sought to be. This is the apostle, place where the apostle knew his limitations may not have gotten to where he was potentially going, but he was still going to go there. He was, he was pressing on at it. And he uses that phrase a couple of times. Um, Jared, uh, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I was talking to this non-believer last night about the nature. It's not God just trying to make good people on the planet. God wants to know who you are. God wants to know you. To you that you would know God or rather be known by him. This is a relational universe. Because Christ Jesus has made you his own. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, press, press on, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Look at that sentence. He told you, I press on to make it my own, back, back in verse 12. Verse 13 says, straining forward to what lies ahead. Same idea. Then he says, I press on again toward the goal of the prize, of the upward call, this, this advancement, this progress 
in Christ Jesus. He says, let those of us who are mature be thus minded. That's the way you should be thinking. That's, it's not you should be an evangelical. I'm great if you're an evangelical. Great if you're moved by the gospel. That's not, everybody who's mature is supposed to be this minded. That you want to know Jesus. And that knowing Jesus Christ, you don't have to talk to a person about rejoicing at that point. You don't have to convince them that it says rejoice in the Lord always because you covered the in the Lord part. And in the Lord denied themselves. You know people, they're not denying themselves. They're not being united with Christ. Those of us who are grown up ought to be this kind of minds. And if in anything you are otherwise minded, look at it. It's one of the nicest things about the scripture. The scripture is not as uptight as church. Because once you get into a church, and this is a church, I'm sorry. Um, once you get into a church, they got it far more figured out than the apostle did. Now, apostle knew he was right. We talked about that last week. Apostle knew he was right. Why didn't he tell people? Just believe what I tell you. This is the right position. You're saying, now, learn how to welcome people that disagree with you. And I think I have my glasses off right now because it's a rhetorical effect, and I just see smudges of beige out there, so I don't know who is appreciating this, but now I do. Okay. If there's anything you are otherwise minded, God will reveal that also to you. Paul's confident that the person who seeks, a mature person who seeks to be in Christ, you're talking to some Anglican. You're talking to some, I don't know, charismatic, some sort of Calvinist. You realize the windshield in their life is full of Jesus Christ. Full of it. Far more important than Calvinism. Far more important than charismatic gifts. Far more important than Anglican smells and bells. They love Jesus Christ. You ever read Bishop Ryle? Bishop Ryle was a bishop of Liverpool back in the 1800s. An evangelical. And he writes a short essay called The True Church, which is just spectacular. He basically kicks Anglicanism down a flight of stairs. He's a bishop in the Anglican church. He says, no, it's knowing Jesus Christ. And anytime you find someone for whom you might have all sorts of opinions about their viewpoints, but they lead with Christ filling their windshield, you can go, yeah, anything you think otherwise on, God will reveal that also to you. We're able to, we're not just growing ourselves. It's not that if I've already obtained it or I'm already perfect, but I press on. We're also granting that privilege to the others to press on. Whatever you haven't got figured out, make Christ your reason, surpassing reason for everything. Brethren, verse 16, only let us hold fast, true to what we have attained. There's a place you have gotten. The future isn't filled with contradictions. This is not Masonic rituals where you find out at level X that you everything you believed at level Y was completely a lie. We're now telling you the real truth. 
What you learned is true. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is still true. Hold fast to what you've attained. The gospel you believe that brought you into the kingdom, you've attained it. Brethren, verse 17, join in imitating me. And mark those who so live as you have an example in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now he had touched on that a little bit, right? Earlier in the book. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but some from goodwill. He knows that you're not only just measuring you, you're measuring the Christian church and fellowships you're in. You're measuring the authors of the books you read. You're measuring people who would teach you. And frankly, there are people for whom the flesh and their own are still more important to them than Christ. And they are willing to trick out their self with the name of Christ in order to have access to your life. They become famous Christian teachers and then you're surprised when they run off with the cabana boy. Look for the people who think this way. I keep bringing it up. We read through that hideous strength that Wednesday night, pipe night readings. And it's, that's the big growth in Jane Studdock's life in that hideous strength. She meets God, and God becomes everything. All of her trouble with her parents, oh, not her parents, all her trouble with her husband, took care of it, just took care of it. You knew who your Lord was, and your Lord wanted you to do something? You did it, because you were rejoicing to do it for him. So when God expected her to be a good wife, she was a good wife, not because her husband deserved it, because he was a complete bohunkus, because she pleased her God. It solves your life. And you're supposed to look at other people and go, how am I to judge them? Well, are they this kind of person? Join in imitating Paul and anybody who acts like Paul. Find the people that are most Pauline. They live at enemies of the cross of Christ. And I pulled this out and centered it, not because it was in the original text, but I, I like doing that so you can see it, see the separation of phrasing. Their end is destruction. Their God is the belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Everyone who is in the work has a choice of doing it for earthly reasons and reward or doing it for Jesus Christ. Now, someone who's doing it for Jesus Christ, Jesus filling their windshield, might disagree with Evan 100%. But I'd rather talk to him because we care about the same Jesus Christ at the same level. And I know that if we listen to Jesus Christ, a lot of the things that we differ on will come to an agreement about. I've had that experience any number of times with people who are 180 degrees out from where I stand on a subject. 
but Jesus Christ was most important. When you don't have that, you have to have an inertial force for being in this religion business. There are going to be rewards. Watch out for those people with their minds set on earthly things. He says, destruction, their belly, in other words, their urge being met. You know the urges mentioned in the epistles about First uh, John? All that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. All of your urges, that's what gets met in ministers who are not Christ first. Because you begin to see things become expensive car for pastor first, expensive re uh, book deals for pastor first, earthly things. Paul reminds us our commonwealth is in heaven. Their end is destruction. Our commonwealth is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, Je the Lord Jesus Christ. Their God we're, we're waiting on our God, which is Jesus Christ. They have got a God, which is their belly, their urge. Have you ever been that hungry? I just maintain a, a, a roundness that keeps me from ever getting hungry. But I could survive a long time. I've, I've known people who get that hangry thing, they, or they don't. What's that commercial about Snickers? And they, you don't know, yourself when you give them a Snickers and somehow, it, it's like people were not quite human beings. Their God is their belly. Do you not control yourself? Who can control you? We have a God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now, remember Paul, what he said back in earlier, if possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And it, we, we sometimes throw things in the way of the wrong question, or at least for the moment, the wrong question. We're talking about rejoicing in the Lord, and sometimes that might be a, a, a way of beating up somebody who is not big on that. But we're about the Lord this time. And this time, we're looking at Paul wanting to be like Jesus Christ in every avenue he could, that if possible, be raised from the dead. We don't quite know what he was talking about, and I really have not a whole lot of interest in describing what the could be. There are various could be's. But he says here, who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power which enables him even to subject all things to himself. He knows the resurrection is coming. It's a thing hoped for in Romans 8. This is contrary to what the, much of the church does. The church moved by earthly things, their shame, their belly, they're going to destruction. I don't have any trouble just murmuring to myself about certain pastors at the national ministries going, they're damned. I mean, darned, excuse me, they're darned. They will get theirs. But we're not to be that way. We have got this future. Wherever you are in Christ, wherever you go to in your communities, finding believers together, find those 
who live like St. Paul called you to live, with Christ, that your rejoicing is secondary to who it's in. Therefore, my brethren, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. That's where we ought to be. That's where how you ought to measure life. That everything else that's valid for you to have, anything from your job to your family to your motorcycle to whatever else, that you know Jesus Christ is much bigger than that. Jesus Christ has supplanted everything in your faith that challenges belief for the same arena, for the same subject. You can't believe that mammon is God and God is God. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot believe that you are in charge and God is in charge at the same time. So pick. What's your faith? What do you believe? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. You've been kind to us over many years, and we'd ask that you would continue to lift up your people, draw them each closer to you, that they would enjoy the life um, having your son in mind at all times. Thank you for this lunch we're having, Lord. We're grateful. In your son's name, amen.